Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Skate Podcast. Talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome to episode 249 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, the Bruins had two victories over the over the weekend over the Toronto Maple Leafs Hockey Night in Canada, 4-3 to three in overtime. That was a very, very entertaining game. And then uh, an impressive win on back-to-backs against a team that, you know, kind of embarrassed them last week in Columbus. And they, they come from behind in the third period to win 3-1. to one. A natural hat trick for Brad Marchand. And I know the Bruins record wasn't great this year when trailing after two. So it's good for them to get that win. Bridget and Scott, let's jump right into our opening takes. Yeah, well, mine is that it, it really turned into the weekend of Marchand. Uh, he scores the overtime winner in Saturday's game in Toronto. Uh, you know, in a game that he, he entered as kind of public enemy number one because of the whole silliness around like the Timothy Lilligren injury the last time that they played. Um, also snapped a, uh, it was his first goal in six game. I mean, first point in six games, first goal in nine games. So snapped a drought for him. And then he just put the team on his back Sunday with the third period natural hat trick uh, to lead the Bruins to victory. Um it was also a very emotional weekend for Brad Marchand because he he confirmed to a few of us reporters after the game that his grandmother passed away Friday night. So, uh, you know, I think people noticed after his winner on, on Saturday that he, he looked pretty emotional. At one point he kind of put his glove over his, over his mouth, like over his face as he was leaving the ice. Um, that's why I, I know that, you know, that, that it kind of started to circulate on social media and um, he did confirm it. So an emotional weekend, a a big weekend for him. Um, And especially, you know, Sunday really kind of just put the team on his back. Yeah, definitely a lot to get into with that as well. My opening shift, I mean, that was the the major storyline this weekend. There are a lot of little um, smaller storylines that we can get into as well. Uh, Mine has to do with the rookies. So, in the Toronto game, Johnny Beecher gets scratched. He he didn't play. And Patra did not see a lot of ice time in the third. He It kind of felt like maybe punishment for um, just maybe coach not feeling he's playing up to par. So the rookies started out really strong. And I want to get you guys' opinions in a little bit on whether or not Beecher, you know, deserve to get scratched what their what the reasoning might be and his response because in the game against uh the blue jackets he i thought that he played really well and i thought that that fourth line had a lot of energy especially in the first period they started to get things going um anyway guys yeah rookies um getting a little bit less love over the weekend than we had seen them yeah definitely some thoughts there wasn't expecting that scratching heading into the toronto game but um, both lineups uh, this weekend performed and, and came through. For me, uh, obviously Saturday night was a was a rivalry game against the the Maple Leafs, and the knock on the Bruins from the outside, from you know local fans and media, has been that offensively they at times seem like their team their, their team speed is a little slow. The they're not as they're not an offensive powerhouse outside of David Passion that great, but. Okay, so that's the Bruins' weakness. But watching Toronto, their team defense is brutal, and or that might be strong, but it's not. It's not great. And Detroit's having a, a really good year. Florida's having a really good year. Tampa's in the mix. I guess what I'm saying is, uh, 
the parity in the Atlantic division is, is as good as it's ever been since they've gone to this divisional realignment. And here we are in December. And if you were to tell anybody that in December, uh, the Maple Leafs and the Lightning were both out of the top three in the Atlantic division, I think a lot of eyebrows would be raised. And so it was a fun game to watch the Bruins play, play Toronto. The Bruins defense and goaltending, despite that three-game hiccup uh, last week, it really, it really is uh, among the better in the league. And, and teams that have maybe a more high-octane offense like Toronto, they have their shortcomings. And the Atlantic is going to be a fun race to watch the rest of the way. Yeah, and, you know, for me, it really highlights the importance of the Bruins continuing to just rack up points. Right now they have a seven-point lead over second-place Florida. And as you point out, like, if they slip and, and teams start to catch them, like, you're you're slipping into a dogfight. Like, all of a sudden, you know, two two through five in the division right now is, you know, it's, it's good teams. It, it's all teams that are capable of, going on a run at any point. So the, the more distance you can put between yourself and, and that group, the more you can stay out in front of all that, the better it's going to be. So, you know, because like you, you kind of, you look through that group and it's like those teams can, you know, in one good or bad week slide from like second place to out of the playoffs or vice versa. You know, Tampa right now uh, would not be in the playoffs if the playoffs started today. So that's, yeah, you know, as as you're talking about that, it's like really just highlighted how important it is for the Bruins to to kind of maintain their distance over over that group and not become, you know, part of it where they're sliding up and down uh, three or four spots in a week. Which is why, Bridget, we say, and you beat this drum most, the regular season does matter, right? Everybody wants to skip it's, ahead to the playoffs and make the Bruins prove it then. But it's like, no, these are the tangible reasons why, obviously, while playoff success is the end goal, it's not, it's, 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 it could be better than just, there's, there's better ways to play the regular season than just getting in at the last hour. I wouldn't have to if people didn't constantly annoy the crap out of me with the, with that uh, sentiment. <laughs> so I wouldn't have to say it so much, but but it comes up and I'm just sitting here like, you realize you can enjoy the regular season, right? Like we can watch it and there's 82 games and like most of them are entertaining and you, you can have fun. It's, you, you know, it's not life or death. Uh, just go enjoy a fucking hockey game. But um, yeah, you're right. And, and, it's so weird to see that the Bru like the Bruins could draw the Maple Leafs in a wild card. Like it, to think about that, like to, uh, Toronto or Tampa being the, the wild card team, but um, we've seen how they've played each other as well. The Toronto win was, it was a huge uplifting moment when Marshawn scored that goal, especially because he flattened Nylander first and then he ends up um, like puck comes loose to pasta and then Marshawn ends up putting the, the winning goal in, but you felt like he was playing to the, like the Marshawn passion that we've seen. And he absolutely carried that over into Saturday's game against Columbus. So, I mean, you can see the, the fire start and you, you wonder, you know, is this really the beginning of a turning point for him? Is this going to be a, the opposite of what his last stretch was, which was, you know, maybe turning the corner to going on a, goal streak or a point streak instead of a point drought. So, um, Xerxes, stop it. <laughs> Climb my chair. Sorry. Yeah. You can't make it through one of these usually, at least sometimes when it's, they do it when I'm not talking, but this time he's being a pain. Xerxes is, uh, he's, bad he's badgering you. He's badgering mm -hmm. you more than Martian has badgered the, the NHL <laughs> for the last 15 years. This is what he wants. I have mozzarella. So, the the fourth skate pod co-host is, is yeah from. Xerxes and then Melvin's in bed. It's past his bedtime. So, <laughs> I mean, on on the subject of Martian, that was that was what we just saw. That was a uh, more more of a response from Xerxes than anything the Leafs did to Martian. Because <laughs> once after once again after like 
all this talk, which really like most of the talk seemed to come come from Ryan Reeves, but like there was nothing. Like no one challenged him to a fight. No one, you know, laid a huge hit on him or anything. And you know, like thinking back on now, like I wonder if some of the Leafs knew about his grandmother. Like you know, maybe that kind of made the rounds in in like the the true hockey circles before it kind of became public. You know. We, we just don't know, but um, yeah, it, it certainly was not like the Florida game with McAvoy where it was like clear that they were taking runs and trying to get their pound of flesh. And, um, you know, that, ter- that game in, on Saturday was completely different. Like that just didn't happen. And then Marsha ends up fittingly getting the winner anyways. Well, we talked about him well, you guys recorded last, but the last uh, episode I was a part of, we talked about how he needs to be, this team needs him to be more of an elite player than a good player or a really good player. And yeah, obviously, Bridget, you mentioned that he was in a bit of a rut. Scott, you did as well. And, you know, honestly, I don't think he played poorly against Toronto. I just think he was, for the most part, kind of just out there up until obviously the game winner. And then tonight, he it's amazing what happens like we for years we've talked about it i've mentioned it like confidence is everything like you grip the stick too tight when things are going your way you know you're a scorer like you get a couple in and then it's no coincidence that when when, when someone's in a goal slump and then they they put one in they end up going on like on a, on a bit of a heater it's just the way that it is and so yeah as you guys mentioned hopefully that this is is the the start of him maybe getting that goal scoring touch more consistently this year. He, and he started his, he started, you know, being more physical after the stretch of losses. He ended up with kind of a fight um, earlier in the week. And then, then you see it translate to, you know, the goal in overtime, which is, you know, the most clutch situation you could score in. And then even in today's game before the hat trick, he drew two penalties that he was, causing um causing defenders to have to you know impede him and and drawing those penalties and and he scored on one of those power plays two of his goals um coming on the power play so uh and someone pointed this out after the game like he scored from each side of the ice and the middle like he was all over the place and, and he was able to score in a few different ways so you saw the the elite skill come out um i in the hat trick, especially in the third period. Well, like even if we want to just narrow it down to that, that third where he scored all three goals and drew a penalty. Yeah. And drew two penalties in the game, but yeah, one in the third that led to, to one of those power play goals. And, you know, I thought, so on Thursday he was on a line with Patra in Heinen. And then these last two games, the center flips, it was coil at center and, and, still Heinen on the other wing. And I thought that line was fairly quiet most of the weekend, like when they were on the ice as a line, but one, they end up combining for the goal that ties Martian's first goal Sunday night that ties the game um, where it's just a nice starts with Shattenkirk, but then a nice rush from Coyle over to Heinen and then, Heinen makes a great pass to Martian that um, he actually doesn't get all of and ends up being a changeup and that really threw Spencer Martin off. Um, and then the next two on the power play and, you know, one of uh, the Bruins kind of made like a key change there on those third peer power plays where Martian and Pasenak flip sides uh, with both of them going to their strong side. And you end up seeing, you know, both of Martian's goals are him coming in from the left and kind of more of a, you know, more of a shooting role than, um, you know, sometimes when he's on that right elbow, he can maybe defer a little too much. Uh, we saw Pasenak get several shots blocked on the power plate shots and like slap passes that ended up going right into legs or skates and get cleared down. So yeah, the, the usual setup wasn't, wasn't really working very well Sunday night. So uh, that wound up being a, you know, a really smart switch. And 
helped spark two power play goals in the third period. You mentioned Danton Heinen on that first Martian goal, Scott. You and, and, and Bridget, what are your opinions on on the addition of him as a as a PTO? I mean, averaging half a point per game right now, eight points in 16 games, and just been a real, real steady addition to this team who's not only producing, um, as I mentioned, a half half a point per game pace, but just doing a little things right and is a, is, a, is a good utility guy for them right now. Don't you want to get Xerxes' opinion? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, Xerxes. Do you want to? You want to go? <laughs> um, yeah. He he says it was a great no risk uh, situation. That yeah, he's he's a Panthers fan. We don't we don't need his opinion. <laughs> <laughs> he's so happy looking at the camera. Uh, it's because he's being good because he wants cheese here. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Scott, you can't have any. But uh, so, yeah, Dan Heinen has been able to play up and down the lineup. He has been able to play successfully with the best players on the Bruins team. And you see him set up the first Marshawn goal. You see you see him able to impact the game. And by the way, first of all, like when you send a guy on a tryout, you're kind of – because no one's already signed him uh, as a free agent, a lot of the times what you're what that says is like, okay, well, this person has some deficiencies and maybe you know maybe makes mistakes, um, maybe isn't as good defensively like as their offensive upside. I think he's played as well. well he's he's for sure exceeded expectations, but also he's not a liability. Sometimes when you add a guy that's like you know, we're taking a flyer on him. It's there's some sort of liability. I don't feel like he is when he's out there, he's making moves, he's making plays, he's doing little things too behind the play. And that just helped the team. And Montgomery is probably thinking, like I told you so, this this is a player that I knew from coaching him in college was uh, you know, had the skill set and could really impact the team. And um I assume he had a role in Sweeney's eventual decision to sign him. So um he's making that decision look really smart well yeah and think about how many forwards they signed before him day one of free agency they signed four james van reemsdyke milan lucic morgan geeky patrick brown and then and, two weeks- and jesper boquist i don't know if that was before or after but they signed boquist and he's not well, on the- yes you you cut me off but yes Two weeks later, they signed Jesper Boquist. I was getting there, Bridget. Patience. Um, oh, you know me. You know I. And then, know. and then, late August, last week of August, they bring in a veteran forward on a PTO, and it's Alex Chieson. He was the first one brought in on a PTO. It's not until the first week of September that they bring in Heinen, and um, now he has more points than all of those guys except for Van Riemsdyk. So, you know, I'm sure I'm sure Heinen was on their radar, especially with the Montgomery connection, but like they've got to be thrilled that, you know, one that he was out there so long, and two that they did eventually reach out and bring him in. Um and then kept him around. And obviously, you know, he missed the first nine games while he was still technically on a PTO. He was practicing with the team but not playing games. And then you look at, Brian, you mentioned his his point totals, you know, half a point per game. Well, really, though, only one of those points came in his first six games. Now he's got seven in the last ten. Like, as he's settled in and, and gotten up to speed, it's been even better than that. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, do I think he's going to stick on a line with Marchand all season? I don't know. You know, it's a little hard for me to believe, but Right now, he's certainly playing well enough to be there. Well, I mean, if he keeps playing and if he keeps producing and playing this uh, this two way reliable style of hockey, but also, by the way, he's been aggressive on forechecking. Like he he's 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 getting his nose in there, and you know we've talked about Jake DeBrus before and and his his um, underwhelming production to this point 
um, you know, if until DeBrusque starts, I mean, he's, I think he's got 10 points DeBrusque, um, which is tied with Frederick. I think he's eighth and I think he's eighth among forwards on the team in scoring, I believe. Um, which obviously, if, you know, DeBrusque, uh, he, he, he needs to be a little bit higher than that. So if DeBrusque starts to get going, then, uh, um, production wise, then maybe Heinen's, maybe he slides back down. But until then, I, I mean, he's playing great. So I don't, I don't really think he should be punished until something changes, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, they've, they've started integrating him into the penalty kill more too. Um, he, he kind of sort of like replaced Trent Frederick there. Frederick started the year getting some shorthanded ice time and it has since shifted to Heinen who, um, you know, it's kind of part of like the third grouping with usually Johnny Beecher. Um, when Beecher was at Saturday, it was Jacob Loco got a little bit of PK time, but yeah, he's doing that as well. So, um, you know, he's, he's shooting quite a bit, which I think is, more, you know, definitely more than like last time he was here. Um, you know, I, I asked Martian about him after Thursday's game, after the win over the Sharks. And he talked about how, like, since he was last here, he notices that Heinen, like, is strong, is stronger and plays a stronger game. And, um, you know, Bridget and I talked a little bit about this, but Montgomery on, I think it was on Wednesday, mentioned that, like, they track 50-50 battles internally and said Heinen's winning them at, 64% rate and that kind of lines up with what you see like Brian you mentioned like he, he's you know he's helping to, to win battles he's been good on the four check good on the walls and it's you know he's always been pretty responsible defensively so um, yeah and, and to illustrate that point about the defense I, I meant to mention this earlier Montgomery literally played him as a defenseman uh when in the game that McAvoy got uh got a five-minute major, and Grizzly got hurt, and they were down to four defensemen. In overtime, he played Heinen as one of the defensemen in, like, a trio um, with two other Bruins. I forget who the forwards were, but he was – even in the post-game press conference, he said, I played Heinen on defense in college um, when when he had to, and he that's how much he trusts him defensively, like, that he can play literally any role on the team, including – in what was a very desperate situation down your top defensive pair, uh, putting him on defense. Yeah. So he, he's, he's been great. And, you know, just another cog in the wheel of this Bruins offense so far this year, just kind of doing it by committee, obviously led by, you know, David Pasternak and his 30, 36 points in 24 games. Um, so it's... By the way, one one last note there, but so Connor Ryan tweeted out during the game that um, with that assist on on Marchand's first goal, Heinen now has more five on five points this season than Tyler Bertuzzi, and I added on to that that so does James Van Riemsdyk. So uh, you know the 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 bargain bin shopping that Sweeney did, um, you know, has has worked out pretty well so far. I think at, maybe Toronto, at least in, in a few cases. I think maybe Toronto would rather have had James Van Riemsdyk. I think um, that I, I think that if Tyler Bertuzzi was in Boston, he would be having a much better season. There's something off in Toronto. Um, there clearly, kind of always has been. Um, you know, they're a team that they 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 score, they produce. They get the wins in the regular season. They finally broke through after 20 years of not winning a playoff series last year, defeated Tampa. But there's something in the water there where players go there to, to fail, honestly. And, you know, there was a there was a video going around um, after the Bruins game of the, the lack of back-checking by William Nylander and John Tavares uh, in, on the overtime goal. And it's like, I mean, Marshand and, and Pasternak literally – they had all the time in the world. I mean, aside from Morgan Riley, it was if that was if, if that was the Bruins that allowed that overtime goal. Which and, and there's a video of of your captain of, of Marshan just n literally not moving his feet, like literally not moving his feet. 
Um, and Nylander, like, just looking for, I don't know what the hell he was doing. It, my point is, like... He might have been looking for a penalty call. I, I kind of feel like he was well, looking around. I mean, I, I don't think so. I think he probably thought overtime was, was about to be over or something. I don't know. Yeah, the, like, it was, it was like they just... Yeah, it was like they just expected Pasenak to score, but it's like, guys, what if he doesn't score? Like, what if the play continues? Then, to your point, like, yeah, they were just, like, nowhere to be found, and Martian just ends up standing all alone in front of the net. So we would be killing the Bruins if they did that, and I guess the the point I'm trying to illustrate is Toronto has all this, all, all this talent, at least up front. I think there's a lot to be desired defensively, personnel-wise, but – we we would be killing the Bruins if they showed that lack of determination and effort in that type of situation or any situation. So again, just like kind of, yes, Bridget. I'm pretty sure the Toronto media and fan base is killing them over that. Well, they kill them all the time. If they, yeah, sneeze, it's, 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 safe, yeah. it's safe to assume, even though I haven't watched any Canadian television this week that they're probably um pretty pissed off about that. Yeah. I thought, I thought uh, just like to quickly circle back to Bertuzzi, Brick made a good point down the broadcast of like the Leafs want to play fast and just like get the puck and go. And Bertuzzi tends to be a player who kind of slows things down. And like, that's probably a factor in in why he isn't really clicking there. Um, And one other thing in Toronto should also just note that like, as far as team defense goes, they are also very shorthanded on defense right now. Not so little grin is still out. Mark Giordano's out, and I think there was uh, John – well, not that John Klingberg plays defense, but he's also <laughs> – Right, but also, like, Giordano is a what's, – what is he, 55 at this point? Right. So, I mean, you know, I, I get he's out of the lineup, but he's not like somebody who opponents are fearing to play at this stage in his career. And then Lilligren is – I mean, he's decent. I mean, he's like a – you know, five, six guys. So, but your point's not invalid. I'm just saying like, it's not like they're missing a couple studs back there right now, um, especially defensively. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is like, if you look at this division, because this is a division that the Bruins have to, you know, ideally play through at some point and, and continue to play all year. It's like, I, I personally think that the Panthers, the way that they play, as we saw last year, I, I think that they're the, I think they play the, Right now, they play the best style of hockey that translates in the spring. After them, I do think it's the Bruins, uh, despite last year's shortcomings, but just based on defense and structure. And then it's like, you know, Detroit's fun to watch. They're getting Patrick Kane. Um, I think they, as a group, they have to to prove it in the playoffs. And then obviously Toronto we're talking about now. And Tampa Bay – they get Vasilevsky back and and defensively they're kind of falling apart in front of them. And they're, as you said, Scott, outside the playoff picture. So um, I do think the Bruins rank just beyond Florida as far as playoff makeup in this division. And on paper, there are teams that might have a little bit more, at least up front, but just your guys' opinion on what you've seen the first, you know, two, two plus months of the season and how these teams in the Atlantic kind of stack up. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you that like, Florida, until anyone proves otherwise, like they are, they're the biggest competition. Um, And yeah, just based on last spring, you'd have to say, you know, a little better built for playoff hockey, um, regardless of where they finish, you know, if, if they're second or third behind the Bruins, like I'm not, I don't think it's a slam dunk. Like, Oh, the Bruins are the better team. They should clearly be favored or anything like that. Like, you know, like I, I underestimated the Panthers last year, as, as you guys will remember, going into the playoffs. Not going to make that mistake again. Um, Tampa, man, Tampa could be in trouble. Um, I know this this is skewed a bit because they just lost 8-1 to one to Dallas, which in and of itself is concerning enough. But, I mean, they're, they're minus 10 in the year. Uh, they're exactly 500, 10 in terms of points, like 10-10 and 5, so – Actually, they lost, you know, whether in regulation or overtime shootout, they've lost 15 of the 25 games they've played. Um, Toronto has only won five games in regulation out of 22. Like, that's kind of crazy to me. Uh, they've, because they're so skilled, they've won a lot of the 
overtime and shootout games that they've had. Um, by the way, their their only shootout loss was to the Bruins, and one of their two overtime losses now to the Bruins. Um, I kind of feel like Detroit m- might be the third best team right now, and I, I have my doubts about whether that holds up for the entire year. But right now, like that's that's a team that. that got off to a really hot start, had a little bit of a dip and has recovered since and continued to play really well. So, you know, I think like you wondered if that hot start, you know, does it go away like the first time they hit a dip and then they really come back to the pack and that hasn't really happened. Like they, they've bounced back and are now winning again pretty consistently. Yeah, I would say in Detroit also was a team that played the Bruins well like if we're talking about like a a head-to-head matchup in the playoffs like um they they seemed to have the Bruins number a little bit and I think at the time that they played the Bruins originally the first time this season I don't think Bruins fans really understood that this isn't the Detroit team that has been you know kind of rebuilding over the last few years like this is a different Detroit team this year that uh, is actually able to put up a fight, will be a playoff team, currently third in the division. So, uh, and like you mentioned, the Panthers are se- our second best in the conference. So, um, yeah, <laughs> for obvious reasons, the same as last year's re- reasons, the Panthers are such a tough matchup for anyone, not just the Bruins. I don't know if you guys saw the the game they had with Ottawa where there was like five guys left on the bench by the end of the game. Like it is a team that has guys that will mix it up, stick up for their teammates. Like it, it isn't it. They're a team that's built stronger than the Bruins in terms of obviously we don't think Lucci is coming back. So they have personnel that's different than what the Bruins have. And they were able to use that to their advantage last year. And there's no reason to think they couldn't do it again. Well, you guys mentioned, Brad Marchand and when he's playing well, like in the past, he's he's dragged the Bruins into the fight every game. The Panthers drag their opponents into the fight every game. Like whether whether their opponents want to just chalk it up to a you know regular one of eighty two game, the Panthers don't let them. Like when you have when you're playing against Matthew Kachuk and you know Sam Bennett and Ryan Lombard and you know Nick Cousins and all these ball busters over there, like. And then they have a couple other guys that they brought in this year too that are that like to mix it up. They just they 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 love to play that way. I think it helps get them engaged in the game. And honestly, I would love to see that if if I like if I'm a Panthers fan, I love I would love to see that. I think I think I think every team could could maybe take some lessons. I think if you do that every every game over 82, it might add up, might be a little taxing, but in general, I, I do like the way that they that they play. As a, as a team. Yeah. And, and it works for like, even, you know, forget like being hard on the four check and with, you know, within the run of play being physical, but even like the post the after whistle stuff seems to work for them. Like I, I remember, you know, that's the playoff series against the Bruins when the Bruins are up three, one, and that's when like, you know, Kachuk's going at Olmark and like, I thought at the time just like straight up acting like a clown. And like, I was like, this seems like really desperate. Like you're going up to the goalie and he's like, you know, taking jabs at everyone after every whistle. And yet like, which team had had a spark after that? Like it was the Panthers. So as silly as I might've thought it was, it, you know, it seemed to work. And, and like, he would do that a few other times throughout the, the playoffs as, as well when they, um, you know, as they went on their run. So, yeah, they he obviously sets the tone and they respond to it. Yeah. So I guess that's a um, kind of just a synopsis of where things are um, in the East. And, I mean, we didn't really touch on, like, the Rangers or Carolina. No need to right now. We're here kind of short on time. But – um, so just quickly want your opinion on what my opening shift was, which was the rookies, um, facing a little bit of, I don't want to say, I don't want to say discipline, but, um, certainly a vote of non-confidence, maybe a little bit from coaching with the scratch of Beecher 
in Toronto and Pacho's limited minutes in Toronto, especially in the third. I also noticed, I think it was in the second period of the game tonight against Columbus that Pacho, they, they skipped at least one of his shifts. Um, so I don't know what your opinion on guys is on where, where they stand and if this is something that you thought's warranted. So I'm going to let Scott, I'm going to be smart here. And I'm going to let Scott speak for me because I, I, I think I know his, his opinion on this and I, and I agree with him. Um, so before he gives what I believe is his and my take on both of them, what I will say is I do think where Montgomery is coming from. And I was listening to part of the game tonight on the, on the radio and uh, Bob Beers was, was talking about Beecher and he was kind of, he was kind of critiquing, some plays he made tonight, uh, a couple of ill-advised passes that I feel like is an informed opinion just from being around the team, maybe, and, you know, traveling, you know, like I think just knowing how the coaches think, I think that they see a player who's young and should be really hungry um, and has a lot of speed and can impose his will at different areas of the ice. And I think that they want him to be, I just think they want him to be a little bit smarter with his decision-making and just, I think they want him to use his size and his speed every chance he can. I think that's where they're coming from. And now I'll throw it to Scott because I do agree with him. I saw what he wrote online. Yeah. So like a lot of people, I was surprised by the beach of scratch. Um, you know, Montgomery said that basically he thought Beecher's play had slipped that he hadn't been, as effective as he was earlier on this season for, you know, a stretch of at least several games. Um, and I, I really hadn't seen that. And I didn't think there were like really any numbers I backed it up. Like he had, he had scored three goals in six games uh, prior to getting scratched. He went the entire month of November without being a minus at five on five. He was, a plus or even in every game they played in November. Um, you know, the couple things that stood out trying to think of like, you know, what would Montgomery have seen that he didn't love? And I did think the Detroit game, he was a little off on the PK and he was on the ice for uh, two power play goals against. Now he wasn't alone. I thought the whole PK struggled in that game. And then the game against the Rangers, he had kind of like a weak play slash costly turnover that led to a goal. It was, you could argue it was like a tough pass from Forbert kind of in traffic, but nonetheless, Beecher had a stick on and then lost it. And Brian, you mentioned, you know, Beers talking about a couple, I obviously wasn't listening to the radio broadcast, but I'm wondering if one of the plays is one that stood out to me as well, which actually was, I think it was another forward pass um, kind of came up to the wall to Beecher and he sort of did like, just sort of like a one hand poke up the boards and it was way too soft and it was kept in the zone. Um, so like, yeah, he hasn't been perfect, but I was surprised. And I guess my one issue with it is, Set, doing it on Saturday night in Toronto, big rivalry game, hockey night in Canada. Like when you bench him for that game, it really does feel like a punishment and not just a, hey, we're going to give you a game to rest, reset, watch from the ninth floor, you know, take a break, reset, come back tomorrow type thing. Like if you're, if you're planning it ahead, I, for a guy who's played every game this year and for the most part, I think has played pretty well. I don't know. I kind of would just want to have him in the lineup against Toronto. And then, you know, if you had to sit him Sunday night against Columbus, cause you felt like you wanted to do that. That's fine. Um, that said, you know, other than that, that one play that stands out to me, I, I did think he played pretty well Sunday night. Yeah, and, and also I wonder if it's kind of a message like Oscar Steen is, you know, also an adequate fourth liner. 
like you're you're not safe is a message that can really motivate people um and so maybe there is an intention an intention there to uh be like yeah steam's right here um you guys are you know don't feel comfortable make sure you're working your ass off every night you you know this isn't just you made the team and you're on it for the whole season like there are other guys who want your spot oscar steen is one of them who would love to be a regular on the fourth line uh so probably part of it there and now i want to get you guys thoughts on the potra stuff because i think that not to make excuses for potra for plays where he or for games or just like maybe a few shifts where he goes quiet he also has had a lot of rotating wingers around him and i just don't really know if he's gotten we 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 kind of always go back to talking about what line could work best and it never seems to be pot like Patra aligning necessarily with the right people. And I don't, I don't know if that's like, you know, you can say like, okay, well maybe he's the common denominator. I don't think he is. He makes some smart plays and he, like I saw him even today on the power play have a few times where he was very patient and was able to hold on to the puck and, and it paid off and, you know, they kept possession. He didn't force a pass. He's good at that kind of stuff. So I don't know if you guys think that, it's overly harsh too. Scott, you called it like a de facto benching in the at the end of the Toronto game. Uh, do you think that was necessary? I guess would be the question. Yeah, Brett, Brian. Before you answer, I just so I I asked Montgomery about this before Sunday night's game, um, and you know basically, like, what's your message to Patra when you don't really use him in the third period of? of you know, a one goal game like that. And, and a said, game that his entire family was at. That's his hometown. Yeah. Like Toronto was the yeah, team. And, and, and his first game there as, as a pro. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Montgomery said it's an opportunity to watch and grow and learn. Um, he laid it out that, you know, they had a one goal lead with eight minutes left. We're going to go with the guys that have been tried and true before. And he's got to sit there and watch if he gets the opportunity and he will. He's got to do the right things without the puck to be able to be out there. Um, and, you know, I know like when I tweeted this, uh, the responses were like, oh, well, they blew the lead anyways. They went to overtime. And to me, that's sort of conflating two different things. Like that is specifically, which we haven't even gotten into yet, but that is like a specifically an issue that the Bruins have had going against extra attackers. Um late in games when they have a one goal lead and it becomes a six on five situation. Whether Potra should be using that is sort of a different discussion to me. Like what we're talking about is, you know, Potra had three shifts in the third period and I don't think any of them came in like the last 10 minutes of the third. So, you know, that's really what we're talking about is like trying to close the game out five on five protect the lead shift after shift. And I think it's just a matter of Montgomery doesn't fully trust him in that situation yet. Well, um, I think, I think if you look at the, which we can't because it's an internal stat that we don't have access to the 50, 50 battles, you notice Potra losing a, a few of them just purely based off of, you know, size matchup. Um, and I wonder if that factors in, like we don't want him to be able to get bumped off the puck and lose possession and, and you know that could that could factor in as well and he did he took a big hit by Reeves like well we all thought maybe Reeves was gonna run at Marshawn but it ended up being Reeves uh hitting Patra and it ended up being a boarding penalty so yeah it was for for well, Patra he does struggle sometimes in the physical battles or maybe you know you're putting a veteran in there that's a little bit bigger you don't who has the better 50-50 numbers, like we mentioned, the internal stat, maybe that's why. Well, and I'll also note in the Toronto game specifically, um, on Max Domi's goal, now it really it really comes off a tough turnover by Kevin Shattenkirk where he just completely misplays the puck. But if you watch that, at the moment it's turned over, Patra and Max Domi are basically even. Like they're standing next to each other. And Domi takes off like he shot out of a cannon and Patra was slow to react and never catches them. So 
that also could have been a factor. Yeah, I, I think I think what you said, Scott, is true. Uh, a few minutes ago, it's very obvious that Montgomery just simply just doesn't trust Patra uh, in in big time moments, holding a lead against a you know not superior to the Bruins necessarily, but just like a superior opponent in the league. Um, that that's obvious, and he 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 more or less said it himself. Uh, the 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 thing is it's kind of a catch 22 because how do you, how do you learn? Um, it's not like, like the Bruins have made their decision with Patra. He's here. So you can't, you can't protect him forever. Like you, or let me put it this way. You can't protect the Bruins fate forever without putting him out there at some point. Like, when the, when the playoffs comes around, he's either a part of your team or not. And when the playoffs come around, you do need to allocate ice time appropriately. You can't overplay certain guys. Like everybody's gonna pull on the, pull on the rope there. So, um, from my perspective, okay, I understand it's a it's a big regular season game, but in the long run, what's more important? Like, you know, putting Potter out, not putting Potter out there to try to preserve the lead. Uh, in December against Toronto at the, at the expense of not giving the kid the opportunity to learn for when real, real important moments come through. So there will be times this year situationally where they can get him into those situations, maybe not against Toronto, but I don't know. I mean, he, if you, the way I see it, if you're on the ice, if you're on the team, you should be, you should be able to do what's asked of anybody else out there. Obviously, certain guys are gonna have different roles, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Like, you can't protect them, and you can't protect the team from him. Like, he's either on a team or he's not. So, I think and going forward, I, they should try to integrate him in all situations when appropriate. Yeah, I agree. Like, how do you how do you learn how to play in those situations if you're watching from the bench? Um, so that's that's definitely a good point. Like, you you maybe the fact that it was Toronto is the only reason, but two points are two points. Um, you know, you, you might be looking to stave off the same thing in a, in a game with a much lesser team, two points are two points. Um, and they count the same in the standings. So, uh, yeah, I don't necessarily like it, but I understand that Charlie Coyle, if you can get him to, you know, if he's physically able to increase his ice time in the third, he's somebody that, does win a lot of battles. He is somebody that does win a lot of face-offs. He's a guy that maintains possession, gains possession. And, and when you're trying to hold on to a lead, like that's the name of the game is possessing and not allowing your opponents to have a lot of that, the time with the puck on their stick. So I understand like there are guys on this team that can do a better job than Patra for sure. Um, especially when you look to a Charlie Coyle and a Pavel Zaka who are, you know, they, they're just bigger. They, they win more of those battles. Well, and just to clarify, right. Because not that this is exactly what you're talking about, Bridget, maybe it is, but like, as it, as it pertains to a six on five situation, protecting the lead, like you go with, you go with your best, you go with your best players and that's not Patra. Right. But as it pertains to playing him at all in the last 10, 11 minutes of a game, like you're not, you're not talking about a fourth line winger who you're like, you're not talking about Ryan Reeves in Toronto. Like you're talking about your third line center. Like you don't, you're no, no, no NHL contender is, is, is benching or not playing their third line center. Like a regular shift in the third period. Like you're supposed to roll those top three lines and then spot the fourth. Yeah. And, and that's an important thing to note too, is like what we're talking about. It's not just like, Patra exclusively is getting benched. It's it's a shortening of the bench where they're rolling three lines because, you know, it, Jacob Lauko and um, Oscar Steen didn't get much playing time in that third period either. So, and in a couple games before that, it was like the fourth line wingers didn't get a lot of ice time. And, but really what's happening is in that situation, you know, with a, lead in the third period a couple games early in the season it was basically Johnny Beecher got elevated to third line center 
Patra was essentially demoted to the line that was now getting skipped over with the shortened bench. And that same thing happened Saturday where it was basically Morgan Geeky moved up to third line center and got regular shifts with that line. And Patra got cycled down to a fourth line that wasn't being used. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think, you know, at some point you have to use them in those situations. I would say if, like, we're sitting here in March and Patra's still regularly getting benched on the third period, I, I'd be more concerned. Right now, I do think you're still at a point where, like, he is learning the NHL and learning how to play defense on the NHL. And it's okay to have him be part of, you know, that line that gets cut out with a shortened bench. Like I, you know, the people like, like some of the reaction on online is like, Oh, you're going to ruin his development. You keep benching the third period. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I think he'll be fine. He's, he's a 19 year old kid in the NHL. Like I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he'll get over it. Um, He also seems to have a good head on his shoulders. So I don't think he's going to go moping around the next day because he, only got three shifts in the third period. But yes, at some point, like he he has to develop those habits that Montgomery wants to, and then Montgomery is going to have to trust him at some point to actually go out there and do it. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen him not smiling. So I don't think it affects his uh confidence or his mentality too much. I don't and I think he I'm sure it's been explained to him as well. Like, you know, you're you're new to this league. You have things to learn. Um, and this is one of them. So we'll like, we'll get you up to speed in a way that's not like exposing, you know, exposing you, I guess, in a, in a important situation. But anyway, guys, it is late. It is late. I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, so the Bruins are off until Thursday. They play, they're playing the Sabres. Um, one last thing just to know, I don't really know if any of us really mentioned it, so we'll just say it, but not really elaborate but David Pasternak was a absolute animal on mm-hmm. Saturday and just really kind of you know showed um showed all of North America on, on a primetime hockey night in Canada game just how how good he is um but again we don't want to dive into that because it's, it's it is late so we'll save that for Thursday how's that sound and until then well Brian so just thinking on the fly here but because we have this I'm little bit close, of a- Bridget I was so close because we have this little bit of a gap, whether whether we do a full mailbag episode or just uh, take some questions, mm-hmm. um, we might as well for our next episode. So people yep. can send us questions at the Skate Pod on Twitter slash X, uh, Skate <laughs> Skate Pod at wei.com for email or uh, comment on the YouTube video or send a letter to Scott's address. Like we said, most effective way to get through. Yeah, send a letter to Scott Kringle. Um, <laughs> so, yes, uh, good reminder, Scott. That is true. So we will do a mailbag on Wednesday. Um, thank you all for listening. Enjoy your work week, and we'll talk to you very soon. Hey, guys, thanks for watching the Skate Podcast. If you want to see more of our videos, visit our playlist. Not in front of a screen? You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on social media. And if you enjoyed this video, please don't forget to give us a thumbs up, subscribe to our channel, and leave a comment. Thank you.